And what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. You can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And you can follow the social pages on Twitter and on Facebook for the latest updates. Uh, Good to be back with you folks this week. Uh, Took uh, a nice vacation last week. Uh, It was a really great way to, uh, to recharge. Uh, but we're back this week, the most important part. I'm um, really excited to get into uh, some, some sports stuff. Uh, a lot of news over the last uh, week or so uh, since we last spoke. You know, it was great doing the um, Patriots mailbag uh, about 10 days ago or whatever it was uh, prior to the Patriots preseason game. So that was... Uh, Great doing that. Appreciate everyone that sent in questions. So, um, you know, obviously that Patriots-Giants game is, you know, kind of old news. We may reference it a little bit this week. Um, But, you know, the good news is we've seen this Patriots team play. Uh, I've seen them in action for two games. Um, You know, I think that definitely positives, you know, definitely things to work on, you know, and I think that that's always what the preseason is for, you know, for uh, seeing how things will work, you know, seeing lineup combinations and, you know, certain plays, how certain guys play in certain situations. Um, You know, the Patriots, I think, really, you know, treat these preseason games a lot like, you know, certain in-game situations. And, you know, I honestly think that Nothing was more obvious than, you know, watching the last couple of minutes um, in that first game, the Giants driving down the field, you know, kicking the winning field goal. Patriots not really concerned about, you know, winning or losing preseason games, which, you know, I think makes a lot of sense. You know, the whole point of these games is to get some guys game action, you know, get to see certain guys in certain situations. You know, I think that there are certain players on the roster, you know, that their roster spots are pretty are pretty secured. So, you know, a lot of it's just seeing how certain guys respond. Um, you know, you've seen Bailey Zappi play a decent amount in the first two games and, you know, has has his, has had his lumps. But, you know, I think that's to be expected for, um, for him. You know, I think that uh, what they did offensively, you know, in the, in the play calling, you know, which is for some reason a bigger issue than it needs to be. But, you know, from what I can see, the last two games, the Patriots really haven't had any issues with, you know, running offensive plays. You know, they've had some good plays here and there. Um, You know, Mac Jones had a great throw on that first drive um, against Carolina the other night. And I think a lot of it's just getting game action, you know, guys getting, getting games under their belt and, you know, kind of getting back into the swing of things. So, you know, it's it's preseason, you know, it's training camp. I think that, as I've said throughout this experience, that, you know, it's, it's really hard to get too high or too low, you know, based on things, you know. I think that it's around here, it's a little easier for people to, you know, kind of get up in arms around about things, you know, that, I'm sure the Patriots offensive line was having um, some issues, you know, early on in training camp protecting the quarterback. And, you know, I think that it's for some people, it's easier to make issues like that be more be more problematic than than they actually are. But, you know, I think that, again, it's. You know, you're just seeing what you have, you're seeing what certain guys have, you know, you're putting guys into certain situations that, you know, perhaps in the regular season they won't get a chance to, um, you know, depending on where they are in the depth chart. But, you know, it's opportunities for guys that are on, you know, a roster bubble that, you know, want to make an impact um, and want to make it difficult for the coaching staff to, you know, decide whether they truly belong on, on the NFL roster. So I think specifically looking at last week, the Patriots had uh, joint practices for the first time this summer uh, with the Carolina Panthers. And, you know, obviously a lot of the news was surrounding the, uh, 
uh, multiple fights that uh, the two teams had, uh, you know, multiple instances of, you know, guys kind of letting their emotions get the better of them. And, you know, I don't really think that we need to be getting into specific stuff, but, you know, I think that from what I've heard, you know, it seemed like it was Carolina that kind of was more of like the instigator in certain things. And, you know, it doesn't surprise me, you know, because I think that the Patriots are typically a team that is, that are very well disciplined. And, you know, when you go up against a team that, you know, is undisciplined, they're going to look a lot better by comparison. I think that it shows, it shows that the Patriots are a very good football team. And not to say that, okay, Carolina's bad because they're undisciplined, not even, not really trying to say that, but I think it's clear that like, okay, the Patriots organization, their way of doing things doesn't, they don't really get involved in stuff like that. And so I think that it at least tells you that, okay, they're going to be professional about things. You don't have to worry about this team being disciplined in terms of stuff like that. So I think that we've seen signs that the offense is starting to figure it out. Um, you know, I think the, the offensive line, the blocking has been a lot better. Uh, there are certain guys on the offensive line that have had good camps. Um, and I think that, you know, you've seen some flashes in the preseason games. You've seen um, some good passing plays. You've seen the Patriots trying to move the ball down the field a lot, which I think is a step up from what we saw last year. I think that that was often a complaint about this team offensively, that there were some people that thought that the offense was holding back Mac Jones and, you know, they weren't making a concerted effort to get the ball down the field. And I think that maybe that's a change in terms of the play calling that, you know, this team wants to get the offense going, taking shots down the field. And not to say that this offense has now become an all or nothing offense, but I think you're going to see that sprinkled in a little bit more often that, the training wheels, so to speak, will be taken off and they're going to really try to, you know, try some things and, you know, run an offense that's not going to be, you know, as complex as a Josh McDaniel system. And I think that it's not to say that, you know, Josh wasn't a good coach. I just think that they might be trying something that, okay, let's try to play quicker. Let's try to streamline the process. And I think that that's a big reason why you're seeing kind of some more of kind of a collaborative process in terms of play calling and what the team wants to do offensively. So it seems like it's coming together. You know, there are definitely flashes from uh, the Giants game and then from the Panthers game, especially, um, you know, Mac Jones, four for eight, 61 yards, you know, nothing really spectacular, but, you know, you look at some of the other offensive guys that had good games I thought J.J. Taylor had a strong game. He's certainly making a case uh, to stay on the roster. Trey Nixon um, has had a really impressive uh, summer camp or uh, training camp and preseason included. He had six receptions um, on Friday night. Little Jordan Humphrey had five receptions. Um, you know, I think the Patriots are, you know, kind of have almost an embarrassment of riches in terms of the offense or in terms of the receivers that they have. Unfortunately, you know, some injuries have crept up. Um, so, you know, there are some guys that are going to possibly be more involved than you might think. Um, but I think, you know, for the most part, offensively, they're kind of starting to figure it out. Uh, defensively, this is a group that, you know, through two games, you feel pretty good about where they're at. You know, granted, it is preseason games, so again, you know, you don't want to get too high or too low, but, you know, I think that the defense was definitely a concern coming into training camp, but I think that they've had a really good summer. Um, a lot of the rookies and young guys have really stepped up when called upon. You know, you look at Marcus Jones, Jack Jones, they look like they belong. You know, Mac Wilson, not exactly a young player, but, or not, you know, a rookie or a second year player, but he's played really well. You look at someone like, Josh Bledsoe, who was a sixth-round pick in uh, 2021, and he's had a, a somewhat solid camp. Uh, Sam Roberts, the defensive tackle, 
that the Patriots picked in 2022 this past year. Uh, recovered a fumble for a touchdown. He seems like he's having a good camp. Um, and so it seems like, you know, you know who the big-time players are going to be, but the Patriots have had some young players that have really stepped up defensively. So I really think that they're in a good spot. You know, we'll talk more about the uh, game against the Raiders this Friday night that'll be, I'm thinking, is probably going to look a lot like a regular season game. The Patriots have, you know, Mac Jones not playing the first game, played a, played a series Played about a series or two in uh, the Carolina game. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see what else they can do. But I think that um, reports of this team's uh, supposed demise in training camp, I think, uh, I think was greatly exaggerated. And I think they're starting to, you know, put things together. And look, you know, the, the complaints, I think, at the time were legitimate. But it's like at the end of the day... What NFL team is ready to play a game on August 8th? You know, what NFL team is ready to play a regular season game a month before the season starts? You know, no team has it all figured out. And I just think that, unfortunately, we're in a time and we're in a specific area that there are certain people that prefer to make things look worse than they are. So um, that's really all I'm going to say about that. Um, The Patriots have had some injury issues. Um, A couple of guys have gone down with injuries over the last week. Uh, The Patriots lost Malcolm Butler and Jawan Williams uh, to injured reserves. I believe both of them are out for the season. So the Patriots, you know, depth at cornerback kind of took a little bit of a hit. Uh, But I think it's a tremendous opportunity uh, for a player like Sean Wade, who the Patriots brought in um, via trade and training camp last year. Played a little bit during the season, but I think he's another guy that's had a pretty good camp. Um, And so I think looking at those two guys in particular, you know, Butler and Williams, you know, to be honest, I think that both of them were kind of on the roster bubble anyway. So, you know, it's not like the Patriots lost Jalen Mills or lost someone that is integral to the, the defense. You know, I think it is, it will be tremendous opportunities for, uh, both Marcus Jones and Jack Jones to make an impact. Um, you could very well see the Patriots adding uh, another cornerback potentially when um, the rosters get cut down and maybe the Patriots uh, bring someone onto the practice squad. I could see that happening. Uh, Tyquan Thornton also suffered a collarbone injury in the Panthers game. Uh, the, the injury is not believed to be season-ending, although he probably will uh, missed some time, which is too bad because it seemed like he was having a really strong camp at a touchdown reception in the first preseason game um, and then had one reception in the Panthers game um, and then was taken out. So, you know, hopefully we can get him back on the field at some point, but I would not be surprised if the Patriots are uh, putting him on the PUP list to start the season, uh, meaning he might miss the first, you know, like third of the season, like five or six games. So um, that's too bad. I really thought that he was making an impact. Um, Isaiah Wynn, I think, is also someone that's had some injury issues throughout camp. Um, It also was reported this morning that uh, the Patriots may be looking to move him uh, via trade. So that honestly will be something interesting to look out for. Um, Yadni Kajust has seemed to be taking most of uh, win snaps at the tackle position, and it seems like the Patriots like what they've seen from him. So uh, there's another guy that, you know, not a name that we would have thought about opening camp in terms of, you know, getting starter snaps, but it seems like he's uh, reacted well to being um, under, with the starting group. Um, <clears throat> there are also some cuts that are coming this week. Uh, the Patriots or all NFL teams have to cut the rosters down to 80 players by tomorrow. I believe the Patriots are around 85 at the moment, so they will need to cut some players. Um, And then obviously the final roster cut down is August 30th, next Tuesday, where the uh, roster is to be cut down to 53, and then teams can put guys on the practice squad um, if they pass through waivers. So, you know, certainly it's a huge time for a lot of these guys to, 
you know, the, the guys that are on the bubble to prove that they belong. Um, it will be interesting to see if Patriots do have some uh, joint practices with the Raiders this week in Vegas. It will be very hot out there, which I think is, you know, it definitely sucks. But I also think that it might honestly be good for this team, considering uh, that the Patriots will be going to Miami week one, where it's, you know, notoriously pretty hot down there. And the Patriots typically um, have issues playing down there in the past. So it may be a good opportunity for them to get used to playing in some extreme heat. Uh, the Patriots will take on the Raiders Friday night at 815 in Vegas for the final preseason game. Um, as I said, you know, I think this is going to be a game that's going to look most like uh, a regular season game that, you know, you'll probably see the starters playing a decent portion of the game. Um, you know, who knows what the Patriots plan is going to be. You know, I do think that there are certain guys where it's like, it probably doesn't matter if they play or not, but I do think that you will see the team approach this game like it's a regular season game. Um, meaning that Mac Jones will probably play um, a pretty large portion of this game. You know, it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, who gets a lot of snaps, specifically a receiver, running back. You know, the offensive line will be interesting to watch. Um, and really any spot on the defense, you know, I'm curious to see. So I'm excited for this game because I think that, um, assuming both teams treat this like a regular season game, you'll get to see the Patriots match up against um, a Vegas offense that I think has a chance to be really good this season. Um, you know, obviously with the additions, um, or with the addition of Devontae Adams, it'll be interesting to see what that offense looks like um, and how the Patriots defend against it. You know, I think that it's an opportunity for the defense to really show that, okay, they're legit if they can go up against a high-powered offense and have a good have a good game. So, Really excited to see what happens with that game on Friday. Um, I think that at this point in training camp, it's uh, important to maybe talk about some guys that I've been really impressed with uh, throughout the, the camp and preseason experience. Uh, Mac Wilson is a guy that I think has been, you know, outstanding as a linebacker. And I think it's part of that, um, you know, kind of different type of linebacker that the Patriots are looking at. You know, guys that are really athletic, guys that are fast, and I think that he's kind of the, the the poster boy, if you will, for kind of the new age of NFL linebacker that the Patriots are looking at and playing more guys with speed and more guys that can, you know, keep up with the, you know, scrambling quarterbacks like your Josh Allens, your Kyler Murrays, your Lamar Jacksons, you know, all three guys that the Patriots will be playing this year. Um, so I think that he's impressed. He's looked really good. You know, he really looks like a guy that's going to be an impact player this season. Um, Anthony Jennings has also been really strong at linebacker as well. Uh, you know, really all those guys in the secondary that I mentioned have had really strong camps. Uh, Jalen Mills had a really good had a really good individual day against DJ Moore of the Panthers um, in the joint practices. And, you know, DJ Moore is a guy that had 93 receptions last year. So, you know, leads me to believe that Jalen may not be overmatched against some of the number one receivers. So I think it's good to see that he's had a good camp. I think that, you know, Christian Barmore is a guy that I've been, you know, singing his praises pretty much since the moment the Patriots drafted him. Uh, but he's been really outstanding in camp and I think really gives the Patriots a guy that can be a true game wrecker from a defensive standpoint and, you know, someone that can pressure put consistent pressure on the opposing offensive line and quarterback so that it's not, you know, Matt Judon being the singular guy that's going to rush the quarterback. You know, I'm not saying that Christian Barmore is going to lead the team in sacks or anything, but I think when you have a player like that, that teams have to game plan for, it forces an, an offensive line to be like, okay, which guy are we trying to focus on? So he's a guy that I'm looking, looking at that could have um, a really, really big season. Um, and I also think that some of the receivers that the Patriots have had in camp, um, and not really the guys that you would expect. You know, you expect your your Myers, your Bournes, your uh, Devontae Parkers to have, you know, good solid camps. But, you know, the Patriots have had, you know, and even including the guys who have been hurt, uh, Wilkerson and Thornton, the Patriots have had great, 
production out of Trey Nixon and Lil Jordan Humphrey. And, you know, I think both of those guys could certainly be guys that can make the roster at least out of the gate. So been very impressed with a lot of those guys. So really looking forward to this preseason game Friday night. Um, then the Patriots will have a couple days to make those uh, final roster uh, decisions as they cut the roster down to 53. So I think that's going to do it for the Patriots. We're going to move on. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Red Sox, who have, you know, played a little bit better uh, as of as of late, but they're still kind of in the same position in terms of uh, wild card positioning. You know, 60 and 62 today. Uh, the Red Sox have an off day to travel back home. The Red Sox wrapped up a three-game set with the Baltimore Orioles. Over the weekend, Red Sox lost two out of three, including the uh, Little League Classic last night in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Um, that's been a really cool event just in general for Major League Baseball. They've done it for a couple of years now. I think 2017 was the first year that they did it. Um, you know, having a Major League Baseball game at uh, not the... <laughs> you know, it's funny, when they originally started doing this game... I don't know why I thought it like took place at a like a like a little league stadium. So I don't know. My my brain works in weird ways. So you know, watching that game was like, oh no, okay, they're playing in like a regulation baseball park. Um, but anyway, it was a really cool event to see the the Red Sox be involved in that with the Orioles. Um, Red Sox bullpen unable to. Um, you know, keep the game within striking distance. Red Sox lose 5-3, to three, losing 2 out of 3 to an Orioles team that's been playing really well um, in the second half of the year. So, you know, looking at this team, two games under 500, six games out of the wild card, you know, it's just, it's kind of what you would expect. And I think it's it's good to see that the team is getting some of their health back. You know, you've seen Kike Hernandez back into the lineup. Um, you've seen Michael Waka. He's pitched really well um, in the two games that he's pitched since returning from the injured list that he'd been on for a while. Um, so that's at least good to see. But, you know, I think that the health is great, but it's, you know, you got 40 games left. It might be too little too late with the position that they're in. You know, I think they're really looking down the barrel of, you know, they need to win at least 30 games out of their last 40 if they're going to have any chance of going to the playoffs. So, you know, good to have the health back, good to see that, okay, they can get some of these guys back and kind of acclimated, but they're really running out of time to be in contention um, of any sort. Um, you know, it was interesting. You know, the Red Sox seemed to play well uh, with the Yankees series, you know, winning two out of three and then winning the first two games in Pittsburgh, and you looked at that, okay, this team's back to 500, maybe they're turning things around, and then, you know, they you look around, and then they lose three out of four, and, you know, kind of have that momentum stopped um, after a couple of good wins against the Yankees, and that's what's kind of been a little frustrating with this group, that, you know, they've had the ability to hang with the Yankees. They've had the ability to win a pretty good amount of games, um, against that Yankees team that I think for the most part has been the best team in baseball. Maybe they're not currently, but it shows you that this team, you know, can compete, but, you know, for whatever reason, they've just not been able to put it together, whether it's, you know, injuries, whether it's the, the issues with power that they've had this year. Uh, the home runs have been very down, and it's not even just not having someone like Hunter Renfro. It's the entire offense. You know, you look at Bogarts, you look at J.D. Martinez, their power numbers have been down the entire season. You know, it really seems like it was Trevor Story and Devers that, you know, have put up these offensive numbers. Story, obviously, has uh, still been out. You know, Devers is doing what you'd expect, but, like, even you look at his numbers and they're kind of down a little bit. So, you know, I think that it's just kind of, it's going to be what it's going to be with this team the rest of the way. I think it's really hard to, you know, expect that they're going to be a playoff team. You know, at the current moment, they are what they are. You know, last place in the American League East, three and a half games behind Baltimore, six out of the the wild card. So, you know, I know that here we try to, 
see the optimistic and try to see the positive, but, you know, I think that this team is yet to show you that they really can be a competitive team and they can, you know, string wins together. They can play consistent baseball um, against teams in their division. So, you know, I think that it's a positive to see some of these guys playing well. You know, Christian Arroyo is a guy that's played really excellent recently, um, you know, filling in for Trevor Stories. He recovers um, from his hand injury. You know, you look at what uh, Arroyo has done over the last 20 games, you know, hitting 377, doesn't have a lot of great power numbers, you know, home run, nine RBIs in his last 20 games, but he seems to be hitting uh, really well over the last month or so. Um, and even the, the second half of the season, you know, 377, actually, I think that's the same, uh, same amount of games that he's played, but in the month of August, uh, 338, he had 458 in July in seven games, but, you know, he's a guy that's been great to see his progress, you know, he's always going to be kind of a utility guy, but I think seeing him playing well has been great, you know, it's, it's, it's been, a, it's been, it's been tough for him because he's not always been healthy, uh, but I think he's really starting to put it together recently, and that's been, you know, positive development uh, for this team. You know, kind of curious to see what what happens with him, you know, as the as his career goes on. You know, I think he's a guy, he's a utility guy, but there's not really a spot for him. You know, the Red Sox tried him in right field a couple times this year, and it was kind of an adventure. You know, he's a guy that really should only be an infielder, kind of a utility guy. So I'm very curious to see, you know, what the Red Sox plans are going to be for him. Uh, for the next couple of years. Um, but I think he's a good guy to have around. He's a solid player. You may have noticed him on the uh, microphone for the ESPN broadcast last night, which was kind of interesting. Um, I do think that that's really cool that uh, Major League Baseball is doing it, you know, trying to get more kind of fan engagement that, you know, you can interview guys during the games, you know, things like that, which I think is really cool. So, uh, good to see Arroyo playing well. You know, again, we always try to try to find the positives here, um, especially when things are going poorly. But you know, I think just to to be real about this Red Sox team, you know, if they're going to have any shot, they're going to have to play better, and they're going to have to do it now. You know, this is not anything that they can kind of just play around with. You know, forty games to go, and you know, again probably you're going to have to win at least 30 games, you know, which is a pretty tall task for this team that's kind of been just a middling team pretty much the entire year, you know, minus that stretch that they went 32-12 and 12, um, during the months of May and June. You know, they're going to need a run like that if they're going to have any shot um, of going to the playoffs. It's kind of hard to expect that based on what you've seen, but, hey, it's baseball. You know, crazy things happen. You know, you saw... You know, the Colorado Rockies, the year that the Red Sox played them in the World Series, they won 21 of their last 22 games in the regular season. So, you know, it's probably going to take a run like that. And it's not like this is a Red Sox team that it's just simply you have to play better. You also need some other teams to play poorly because the Red Sox are chasing, you know, the three teams in the wild card positions, but they're also three or four teams ahead of them. So... You know, they have to play better. They have team. They have to have teams play poorly. Uh, we'll look at the standings a little bit later when you look at the Major League Baseball notes. But, you know, you look at where they are six games back in the wild card, you know, really, really running out of time. So it'd be interesting to see. You know, I don't really expect them to have a crazy turnaround, but who knows? Baseball's a baseball's a an interesting game and you know teams and players can get hot and they can go on a run so but I think that yeah it's it's got to happen now you know the Red Sox have um, an off day today and then they're picking things back up with uh, a six game set at home three games against Toronto starting tomorrow night um, and then a three game series against the Tampa Bay Rays this weekend so you know, this is the opportunity that the Red Sox have right now. You know, 
it's pretty much you got to win at least five of these games. You know, you might have to win all six, you know, if you're going to have any shot to continue to be in contention, you know, and then you have to travel to Minnesota. They're a team that's in the middle of the playoff chase. Um, so I think that, you know, it doesn't really get easy for this team down the stretch. But, you know, if the comeback's going to, if the turnaround's going to happen, it's got to happen now. You know, it's got to happen against, you know, two teams that you're chasing in the wild card race. Toronto and Tampa Bay are both teams that are uh, currently in wild card positioning to make the playoffs. So the Red Sox, you know, really have to be able to win five of these games, if not six. Uh, for them to have any chance but you know it is a little encouraging that they played a little bit better recently you know you look at um, six wins in their last 10 you know which isn't really anything to shout home about but it's at least better than what it was a few weeks ago so you know we'll see what this team can do um, with their backs against the wall really against uh, Toronto and Tampa Bay two teams that are um, probably going to be teams that go to the playoffs so you know who knows we'll see we'll see what happens so um, I think we're going to move on from the Red Sox and talk about the local hockey team that uh, dropped some news soon after uh, we finished recording our podcast uh, two weeks ago so you know, obviously, we talked about the big news that Bergeron was uh, officially coming back two weeks ago. That news had dropped uh, during recording or just prior to recording uh, that morning. Um, so obviously, great to have him back. And then later in the day, uh, the Bruins dropped even more news that uh, David Krejci is indeed back in the fold. So returning for a one-year deal worth $1 million, could be worth up to $3 million dollars. Um, in incentives, I believe Bergeron's deal was one year. Two point five million could be worth up to four point five million in um, incentives. I think it was up to four point five in incentives. Let me just take a quick look. Oh no, it was a cap hit of two point five million with incentives that could make the contract up to $5 million. So uh, $2.5 million in incentives. So uh, I kind of figured out what the, you know, math for the incentives when people were mentioning, oh, the Bruins have to make the math work. So uh, how incentives work uh, is if the players hit the incentives, then those incentives would get bumped to next season and the Bruins would have to pay them. So that would count against any cap space that they have next summer. So, you know, it's 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 a gamble to do that, but I think the Bruins are willing to kind of run it back one more time, so to speak. Uh, the Bruins also did come to terms with uh, Pavel Zaka, giving him a one-year deal worth $3.5 million, which I think is smart. You know, it's a prove-it contract. The Bruins, you know, brought him in with, I think, relatively high expectations. You know, when they traded for him from New Jersey um, in exchange for Eric Halla. So, you know, I think for him especially, it's kind of just a prove it deal. And um, it's going to be very interesting to see where he goes in the lineup uh, to start the year. You know, I think that going back to Krejci, it's just great to have him back. You know, the Bruins really were in a position where they really didn't have a bona fide number two center. And now they have that. You know, David obviously was out of the NHL last season, but played uh, professionally in the Czech Republic last season. So is a guy that, you know, you would think is fresh, you know, a guy that can play. And, you know, I really don't have any concerns about him adapting back to the NHL because it's like it really was a season. Um, he's a guy that I think keeps himself in pretty good shape. So it's good to have a number two center, good to have an option that the Bruins can roll out, you know, to very strong lines, even without Brad Marchand, will be out the first uh, couple months of the season. So I think, as I said to someone, I think it just eases the it eases the burden on the Bruins, especially from an offensive perspective. You know that they'd be out without Marchand and getting another player that's going to help you out offensively. You know I think is going to be really huge for this team, especially out of the gate. 
Um, you know, bringing Zaka back, I think, is great. It'll be interesting to see where he slides in. You know, I think that there's been a lot of conversation that potentially he plays the third line with Charlie Coyle, and you could see that. Um, you know, I think that's what you would see if the Bruins lineup is at full health. You know, I think to start the year without Marchand, you could see Pavel Zaka potentially playing top line uh, with Bergeron and Jake DeBrusque, assuming that the Bruins go with uh, playing DeBrusque on the right side, as he was able to do uh, for the majority of the second half of the year last season. You know, or you could put him on the second line playing with David Krejci um, and David Pasternak. You know, Taylor Hall is also a guy that's going to be in the fold, too. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of decisions. You know, I think me personally, um, bringing David Krejci back for a million, it, it, to me, makes a whole lot of sense to play him with David Pasternak, play him with Taylor Hall, you know, give him the, the best wingers you can get. And, you know, Bergeron playing with Jake DeBrusque, I really don't have any qualms about that. You know, I think that Bergeron certainly is getting up there in age, but at the same time, he had one of his best seasons of his career last year. So I really wouldn't be surprised if the Bruins go with um, a top six of uh, Zaka, Bergeron, and DeBrusque, and then the second line, uh, Hall, Krejci, Hall, Krejci, and uh, Pasternak. Um, and then the Bruins have, you know, also an opportunity that they can you know, slide, you can slide, um, excuse me, you can slide Trent Frederick in with Charlie Coyle and Craig Smith. You know, that was a trio that seemed to work really well last year. So um, I'd be curious to see if they go back to that. You know, do they put Zaka on that line? Do they put Frederick on the fourth line? You know, there's a lot of options that the Bruins can have um, in terms of like the top nine and then the fourth line, you know, who knows? There, I think, will be a lot of different guys that will be in the fold. You know, it'll be interesting to see if someone like Johnny Beecher has a good training camp. Does Mark McLaughlin have a good training camp, too? Do they challenge someone like a Nosek or a Felino? You know, Jack Stadnika will be in the fold, too. Um, there's going to be a lot of moving parts, I think, in the bottom of the lineup, so... Very curious to see how that shakes out. Um, in terms of some other kind of sort of Bruins news, the uh, World Junior Championships were uh, last week, maybe two, they started on August 9th, went through the, the 20th. I think it was the Canadian team that ended up winning the gold medal, but the Bruins had a couple of uh, recent draft picks that seemed to uh, have really strong performances at the championships. Uh, you know, Fabian Lysel had a really good tournament for Sweden that won, I think, won the silver medal. He had six points in seven games. He had a really strong, uh, a really strong showing there, which is really exciting. You know, obviously the Bruins' most most exciting prospect that, you know, I think uh, crazier things have happened, but I think that there is a legit possibility that maybe he does make the Bruins at a training camp. I don't expect it, but I do think that there is a distinct possibility that uh, he can impress. Uh, and worst case scenario, he starts the year in Providence and possibly joins the team uh, later in the year. You know, it'll be interesting to see how he adjusts to the American game. You know, I think it's a lot more physical than the game you play over in Europe. So hopefully that adjustment will be okay. Uh, Don's Lachmelis also had a strong tournament for the uh, Latvian team. Uh, he was a fourth-round pick of the Bruins um, in this past year's draft. Um, and then Riley Duran was was a draft pick in the 2020 draft. I'm not sure where uh, he was picked, but he also had, a, a, I think, somewhat of a decent tournament for Team USA. So, you know, I think that it's... It's exciting because I think it means that the Bruins may be turning a corner in terms of uh, the drafting and developing, picking some guys that, you know, do have more talent than maybe some of the other guys that they've picked over the last five, six years. Uh, but I really think that specifically the last three years, the last three drafts, the Bruins have kind of changed things a little bit. They picked some guys with a lot of high end talent. So curious to see. 
you know, those three guys and whether they make an impact with the Bruins organization in the next couple of years. I think that a couple of the couple of those guys may be further away, but I think Lysel is a guy that I think, you know, depending on how he does in training camp, he might be ready, uh, training camp in preseason, he might be ready to even make the NHL out of camp. So, you know, those three guys, definitely guys to keep your eye on. Uh, Duran will be playing for Providence College this season. Um, and Lysel, most likely you'll see him in Providence uh, to start the year. Maybe you'll see him in Boston. Uh, he most certainly will be playing some games um, in the preseason, so that'll be exciting to see. Um, you know, we kind of mentioned the forwards at the top of the Bruins thing, you know, and talking about what the forward group might look like without Marchand. And I think that, you know, looking at someone like Taylor Hall, the Bruins, I think would really like him to you know, tap into that skill that he has. And, you know, I think one of the biggest things for me is the Bruins need guys like Taylor Hall and uh, Craig Smith to be selfish and take a lot of shots. You know, I think Pavel Zaka also falls into that category too uh, because I think the Bruins, without Marchand, are really going to be looking for someone to be able to, you know, pick up some of that scoring slack. And I think that, look, if Taylor Hall can rediscover the, even close to his MVP form from a couple of years ago, it would make a gigantic difference uh, with the Bruins in terms of what they can do specifically in the first couple months. You know, Jake DeBrusque is another guy that I think the Bruins are expecting that he can break out and possibly score 30 goals uh, this year. He's certainly capable of it. So I think that the Bruins definitely, with or without Marshan, they need another forward that's going to be someone that can really jump out and someone that could score, you know, upwards of 20 to 25 goals. And I think that Taylor Hall's a guy that I'm kind of pointing at that, okay, they really need him to elevate his game uh, to another level, a level that maybe we haven't seen since he's come to the Bruins, you know, maybe get close to the guy that he was immediately following the trade. He did really, really well a couple of years ago when he came over uh, from the Sabres. So, the Bruins are going to need him. You know, I think that uh, obviously when Marchand comes back and when McAvoy and Grizzly come back defensively, the Bruins are going to have to make some decisions because they think that they're going to be at that point probably going to be over the cap. And so the Bruins are going to have to make some decisions in terms of, you know, which guys do they maybe trade? You know, do they look to trade a Craig Smith? Do they look to trade a Mike Riley who at that point, you know, is probably just going to be your seventh defenseman. So, you know, it might be a smart idea to trade him pro like before, like then or possibly closer to the trade deadline. So, you know, those are a couple guys that I think could possibly get traded. You know, I think that Felino could get moved um, or Nosek as well. So I think those are four guys that I would expect that the Bruins are going to be looking at in terms of, you know, okay, do we maybe need to move some salary? Um, I don't think that Linus Allmark will be a candidate to get traded this season. Um, I would think it might be possible that he could get moved in the summer. Um, and I only say that because when you look at what the Bruins have signed for next, not this season, but the season after, the Bruins only have five forwards that are signed, and that's not including uh, David Pasternak, or the Bruins, I think, are still waiting to come to terms with a new come to terms on a new deal with him. But the Bruins, you know, really are going to be in a situation where, you know, they're going to be asking guys to come back for not a lot of money. And so I think it, depending on what that looks like and then depending on maybe what Swayman can do this season, um, and then keep in mind he needs a new contract next summer, it could make sense that the Bruins move an Olmark um, I'm not saying that it's going to happen. I think that it's potentially a possibility um, because you look at their cap for next season. You know, currently it's they have 25 million in space, which yes is a lot of money. But then you consider that the Bruins are probably wanting to sign David Pasternak for a deal somewhere between eight and ten million, and then you know Swayman needs a new contract, so you factor in both of those, and the Bruins may be left with you know, somewhere around 12 to 13 million, which is still a decent amount of money. But then you consider, okay, the Bruins 
have six forwards signed for next season, and they're going to need, you know, more money to sign more guys. So, you know, that's kind of where some of those young guys come in that I mentioned um, earlier, you know, Lysel, McLaughlin, uh, uh, Berkelov, um, you know, potentially someone like Brett Harrison, uh, Johnny Beecher too. The Bruins might be looking to a couple of those guys to really solidify themselves um, at some point this season and then maybe even next training camp or uh, preseason uh, so the Bruins can feel a little bit better about where they are in terms of um, an organization. So I think that's probably going to be it for the Bruins. Um, You know, really, David Pasternak's potential extension is kind of the last bit of business that I think the Bruins really have to do uh, before the season starts. I know that you know, Don Sweeney has mentioned that they don't mind going into the season without him signed. Personally, I don't really like that. You know, I'd prefer the Bruins get something done uh, during training camp, during the preseason. Um, it is worth noting that the Bruins did sign Charlie McAvoy um, the day before the season opener last season. So could be a possibility that the Bruins approach it something like that um, and they're able to get something done. You know, I really expect that Pasternak signs between somewhere between $8 million and $10 million. I think the Bruins are probably hoping that they can get something done closer to the $8 million, but, you know, who knows? So uh, we'll move on. We'll talk a little bit about the Celtics. Um, Jason Tatum revealed in a live interview on Bleacher Report that he had played through uh, a wrist injury that had a, a bit of a fracture that he uh, played with for a few months in the playoffs. So you know, I don't think it's an excuse thing, but I think you could tell that um, he definitely had uh, some bumps and bruises going uh, throughout the playoffs and, you know, into the finals. So um, I thought that was kind of interesting. You know, Jason's not really a guy that I think shares stuff like that, but I think that, you know, it should lead people to look at him a little bit differently that, you know, he was willing to play through some stuff. I think that there is kind of a small portion of people that kind of think that he's soft for some reason. And, um, you know, that should tell you that absolutely he's not, and he's willing to do anything for the team. And, um, I don't know. It seems like too easily people are questioning, uh, him and Jalen Brown's like toughness or like, you know, I don't know. It's 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 interesting. It kind of seems weird that they kind of get they kind of get that type of criticism when I really don't think it's it's true at all. And you know, maybe it has something to do with the fact that you know Tatum complains to the referees all the time. But it's like every superstar in the NBA does that. You know, it's not it's not it's not specific to him. So um, I don't know. You know, but it was interesting that he talked about that. Um, and is kind of willing to talk about that, but I think he should be you know, healthy to start the season. And speaking of starting the season, the Celtics, uh, or the NBA, came out with the schedule uh, last week. The Celtics have quite a few uh, national TV games. Uh, the first two games of the season are on national TV. Celtics will host the 76ers on October 18th. That is actually the night of the NBA opening night. And then the Lakers and the Warriors will play the later game. And then the Celtics will travel to Miami for the second game of the year, playing an ESPN game, 7.30 Friday night. Um, Some other schedule highlights. Uh, The Celtics have a couple of pretty big road swings at various points in the season. They also have a decent amount of homestands, too. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see some of these games you know, a couple of games against Miami in the early part of the season. Uh, The Celtics will travel to play Golden State on December 10th, their first matchup since the NBA Finals. Celtics will play the Lakers on December 13th, part of their West Coast road trip. They'll also play Phoenix and the LA Clippers on that trip as well. The Celtics will be hosting the Milwaukee Bucks on Christmas Day, 5 p.m. start on ABC. Celtics are playing on New Year's Day in Denver. That is part of another kind of Western trip. They go to Denver, Oklahoma City, Dallas, and San Antonio to start the new year. They will be 
facing off against the Charlotte Hornets on MLK Day on January 16th, part of a uh, small road trip where they go to Brooklyn and Charlotte twice. Then the Celtics will host the uh, Warriors on the 19th of January. They'll host the Lakers on the 28th of January. Celtics' first matchup in the Celtics' first matchup against the Brooklyn Nets is December 4th in Brooklyn, and then Brooklyn will come to Boston on February 1st. So that will be an interesting homestand. The Celtics will play the Knicks, the Lakers, the Nets, and the Phoenix Suns. Um, some other schedule highlights, Celtics playing the Memphis Grizzlies February 12th at home. So quite a few national TV games. Um, and then the Celtics will close the season with uh, three home games in April against Toronto and Atlanta. Two games against Toronto, one game against Atlanta. So, you know, it'll be interesting getting to see the Celtics play uh, their final game before the uh, All-Star break is February 15th against Detroit, and then they'll come out of the break February 23rd in Indiana. So that's it for the Celtics. You know, a lot of pretty intriguing games against Philadelphia and Miami, especially to open the year. Celtics have a game against the Bulls in the early part of the season. So, you know, curious to see how they do with some of these uh, high-profile games. And yeah, with the Celtics making the finals last year, they are a pretty high-profile team. So uh, it'll be exciting to see them play some big games um, on national TV opportunity to uh, show what they've got to a national audience. So I think we're going to move on, talk a bit about the Revolution, who had an interesting last week. They had three games that uh, happened uh, a one nothing win against DC United last Saturday night, 2-2 tie against Toronto uh, during the week, and then a 4 nothing loss to Montreal over this weekend. So, you know, kind of all over the place. The Revs getting a win, a tie, and then a loss. So, you know, good performance in the win, good performance in the tie, Revolution. You know, getting some more goals, you know, still kind of without some of their top offensive guys, which is, you know, a little frustrating that they've had to go into a number of games without Gustavo Bo, without Dylan Barrero, and they've kind of had to make do with what they've got. So, you know, the Revs still kind of in the same spot. Uh, they are currently in eighth place, just a point out of the final playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. So I think with Barrero and Bo being out, Justin Rennix has gotten a good amount of opportunities uh, Damian Rivera has also gotten some opportunities as well. Um, Gustavo or Giacomo Rironi has had some opportunities um, in some games. Uh, I think Tommy McNamara has had a good stretch of games recently, but I think that you know based on based on the loss against Montreal, the Revolution kind of had everything come apart. Um, it might tell you that perhaps this team is not really ready to be competitive against, you know, some of the best teams in the East uh, as they kind of just looked overmatched in that game. But, you know, who knows? It's hard to know. You know, I think it's soccer is one of those sports that, you know, it's easy to have a bad game and it's easy to come back, you know, maybe the next time you play an opponent and play better. You know, the Revolution were also playing on the road. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like baseball a little bit where it's kind of hard to expect what might happen on, every, on any given game. But I think that the Revolution, you know, have to play a little bit more consistently. You know, I think picking up points uh, they've been able to do recently, you know, getting a road point in Toronto. Um, granted, Toronto is not a very good team. The Revolution probably should have been able to win that game. But I think that you just got to get points because points are at a premium at this point with, uh, the season kind of winding down. I believe the Revolution have eight games left. So um, it's really, you got to get points. You got to get wins. And I think hopefully the Revolution can uh, get healthy. But I think, you know, based on that loss to Montreal, that's a team that's going to be a top of the East type of team. And I just, I'm not confident about the Revolution's ability to, uh, you know, match up against a team like that, especially if they're not uh, fully healthy. So I think, 
you know, Gustavo Bo, Dylan Barrero, they really need to be back healthy um, because I think at full strength, this is still a very quality team, but very rarely throughout the season have they been at full strength. So, um, you know, hopefully that can change. Hopefully that can change down the stretch. Uh, the Revolution will be facing off against the LA Galaxy on Sunday night at 8 o'clock at Gillette Stadium. Revolution have uh, three home games this week, uh, or next week, I should say, as they host the LA Galaxy, Chicago Fire, um, and NYCFC. If we take a look at Major League Soccer uh, standings, the Revolution in eighth place, as we said, just one point back of the last playoff spot occupied by the Columbus Crew. Revolution will face off against the Galaxy this weekend. The Galaxy are in seventh place in the West, so very similar spot to the Revolution. So hopefully health improves and the Revolution can kind of get back um, on track and back to where they want to be. So I think that's probably going to do it for um, all the local sports teams. We're going to get into some uh, national stuff starting with the NFL. Preseason has been in full swing. Games have been going on uh, plenty over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau had to exit the Giants preseason game the other night with a knee injury. He said he's fine, but he will be out three to four weeks, so a possibility he could be able to return before the season opener. Uh, Tom Brady is expected back early this week for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's taken a leave away from the team, you know. We could sit here and speculate. I really don't want to do that. That's not really my thing. Um, but he will be returning to the team soon, it sounds like. A um, couple of players still uh, testing positive from COVID-19. Uh, J.J. Watts out. Uh, Drew Locke just recently returned to the Seahawks. Um, the Packers are getting uh, left tackle David Bakhtiari off of the PUP list. And then the Buccaneers losing another offensive lineman to a torn ACL and MCL. Aaron Stinney uh, most likely will be lost for uh, the season. So obviously Patriots hosting or playing against the uh, Raiders on Friday. We'll take a look at the schedule um, in the preseason week two. Uh, we'll wrap up tonight with a Monday night game on the ESPN the Falcons will travel to New York to take on the Jets. And then week three for the preseason gets underway Thursday night. Green Bay will travel to Kansas City. And then San Francisco will travel to Houston. Patriots traveling to Vegas take on the Raiders 8-15 on Friday night. And then week one gets underway September 8th, the Bills and the Rams. So that's what you have to look forward to first week which will be very exciting, very exciting. And the Patriots, obviously, traveling to Miami to take on the Dolphins week one. Moving over to uh, Major League Baseball, we'll take a look at the standings and see how things are looking currently. American League East, the Yankees still lead the AL East. They've not been playing as well recently. Dropped three out of their last ten, but there's still eight games in front of both Tampa Bay and Toronto. And then Baltimore, ten and a half games back from the Yankees, and then the Red Sox in last place at 60 and 62. In the American League Central, Cleveland has the lead a game and a half over Minnesota, two and a half games over Chicago. So things are getting pretty tight in the American in the American League Central. Uh, Houston still with a large lead. In the West, 11 and a half games over second place Seattle. So Houston currently the best record in the American League by a couple games. So they kind of have the inside track to that uh, number one seed, if you will. The Mets in the National League East still ahead of Atlanta, ahead by four games currently. In the Central, St. Louis with a five game lead over Milwaukee. And then the Dodgers far and away in first place. 18 games up on the Padres. The Dodgers are just, you know, ridiculous. 84 and 36, which is just a preposterous record uh, If at, at this point in the season. You know, a team that's only lost 36 games, that's just 
uh, unheard of at this point. So taking a quick look at the wild card standings, Tampa Bay, Toronto, and Seattle with the top three positions, Minnesota, Baltimore, two and a half games back, the White Sox, three and a half back, and then the Red Sox are six back. In the National League, Atlanta has that number one seed by a pretty wide margin. The Padres have the second position, followed by the Phillies, and then Milwaukee is a game and a half back, and then San Francisco is six back, similar spot to the Red Sox. Now we're going to move to the NHL, the World Juniors, as we said, wrapped up over the weekend with Canada winning gold. Uh, Nazem Kadri finally came to terms on a new contract, signing with the Calgary Flames, seven years for $7 million per. Uh, great signing for Calgary. Uh, you know, obviously people were concerned after they lost uh, Gaudreau and then made the trade for Kachuk. You know, getting back a, a player like Huberto, signing him long-term. Um, they also got Mackenzie Weger in the trade. And now bringing in Kadri. You know, I think Calgary clearly getting older, uh, but I think still going to be a very good team. You look at Huberto and Kadri, you know, two very good offensive players. So curious to see what that team looks like um, out of the gate. Uh, Carey Price is unlikely to play this season, according to uh, the, uh, the Canadians' general manager. The uh, city of Nashville will host the 2023 NHL draft and the awards show. And I think that that is probably it for the NHL. Really no other big news. You know, I think the Kadri really was the last uh, big free agent that had yet to sign. So really like what Calgary did. You know, I think that obviously losing Goudreau, losing Kachuk, not ideal, but you know, the they were in a tough spot, and they came out of it pretty pretty solidly, you know, losing two really high-profile, really very good players and bringing in two more really good players. Yes, they're, you know, kind of on the older side, but I do think that Calgary is still going to compete. They're still going to be uh, one of the best teams in the Western Conference. So excited to see what's next for them. Now I'll move on to the NBA. It was reported that uh, Udonis Haslam, Will return for the will return to the Heat for the for his twentieth uh, season. Uh, LeBron re-upped with the Lakers two years, ninety seven million per, which is just uh, you know crazy. And then uh, obviously opening night announced the Celtics Sixers and then Golden State with their ring ceremony will take on LeBron and the Lakers um, in the nightcap. And then and then the uh, ESPN games the next night. Uh, the, uh, the Yankees, uh, the, the Knicks and the Grizzlies and the early game and then Dallas and Phoenix, a rematch of their first of their second round series um, that went to game seven with Dallas uh, destroying Phoenix. So we'll see if Phoenix uh, has something to prove in that game. Um, and then the Thursday night games, there's two, the Bucks and the Sixers and then the Lakers and the Clippers. Uh, curious to see how the Clippers do uh, this season with presumably Kawhi Leonard and Paul George healthy. Uh, they're a team that definitely is worth watching. Uh, you know, nothing really new about Kevin Durant. You know, I think that I've said my piece about it with the Celtics, to be honest. And um, it does seem like there was a report earlier today that the Memphis Grizzlies may potentially be interested. I'm not sure how they would make that trade work. Um because they have Morant and uh, Jaron Jackson, or Jaron Jackson, excuse me, you know, is making a lot of money, but he's on a rookie scale extension, which the Nets can't have two of those guys on the same team. So I'm not sure how that trade would work. Um, you know, nothing new about uh, Donovan Mitchell. And there was a report that the, uh, the Jazz would like the Knicks to better their offer uh, for Mitchell. So, you know, we'll see what happens with that with that potential player movement as well. So uh, looking forward to uh, coming back to you guys with Guest Friday later this week. Got a great returning guest. We're talking fantasy football. Uh, so really excited for this conversation. And I will obviously update you guys uh, later this week as to who the guest will be. So yeah, you can uh, 
be sure to check the Facebook and Twitter pages for the latest updates. And as always, you can listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, Everyone have a good rest of your week, and we'll talk to you on Friday.